That tricked you, huh? You're like, oh, he's going to read a letter. If you don't have a Bible, tonight is one of those very, very important nights that you, you pretty much have to have one because we're going to be reading through the book of Colossians. And so if you don't have a Bible, you might get bored. Uh, you might like be like, what's he talking about? I can't, you know, I don't know what's going on. And, and so today especially, uh, we're going to need our Bibles. And so if you don't have one, raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring one to you if you'd like to follow along like that. Colossians chapter 1, and it says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Now, Paul uh, had never been to this church. He didn't start it. One of the guys that got saved through his ministry, Epaphras, uh, actually went and started the church. And it's in modern-day Turkey. That's where pretty much where it was located and uh, it, was a, it was an important city. He, he writes to the saints, he writes to the church that are there, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Here we see in verse 3 that Paul was grateful to God. He was grateful to God for the true work that had taken place there in Colossae. We see here that his prayers were prayers of gratitude, as well as prayers that God would guard the people and grow the people. You know, and Paul, of course, had a shepherd's heart. Um, he had a heart like God. And, you know, uh, when we look out as a, as a shepherd or as a pastor, I don't even think all of you guys as Christians, aren't you so grateful when people get saved? You're like, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, that my loved one is saved, that my friend is saved, that this person that I, that I never even met before, thank you that they're saved. And then when you see them grow, isn't that cool, you guys? Isn't that so awesome when you see an individual not only getting saved, but then they grow closer to the Lord and they draw near and they become, they, they're different. They used to be like way over here, mean, angry, you know, bitter and, and all this crazy stuff, addicted to drugs and all that kind of stuff. And, and now they're loving, now they're free. I mean, isn't it so cool when you see people get saved and, and people get sanctified? I don't know about you, but to me, that's like the, the most wonderful thing in the world. And that's why Paul was just in verse 3, he was just giving thanks to God. Giving thanks to God for the true work that had taken place there. But you know, when you have a pastor's heart, you don't just say thank you, God, uh, for what you've done. But you also want the people to grow. And so Paul right here, he, he prays. Look what it says right there in verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again, he says, praying always for you. He would be praying for them over and over again that they would grow in the Lord. He says there in verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus 
and your love for all the saints. You see, the faith is what saves us. You're like, well, how do I get to heaven? How do I get saved? Well, you got to get canonized. No, I'm just joking. You got to get hypnotized. No, I'm just joking. You guys have heard that before, huh? Somewhere. You got to get baptized. You got to stand on your head till your ears are turning red. You got to, you know, jump through hoops. You got to do ceremonies. No, how do you get saved? It's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, right? That's what gets you saved. But what proves you're saved? Love, huh? Notice again there in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. You know, Paul knew what to look for. He knew that it needed to be by faith. And he knew that if God was really doing a work in their life, that they would have love for other people, that they would have love for God. And we see that that was the work that was going on there in Colossae. As a matter of fact, if you look down again in verse 8, who has also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Your love for, notice again verse 4, if you guys would look at it real quick, your love for all the saints. Now most of us here love some of the saints, huh? We're like, Lord, I love most of the people. But not that one over there, Lord, because they're kind of mean to me, you know. Or, you know what, they bug me or they smell funny or whatever it is that you might say, man. You don't, you know, love all the saints. And that's not good. When, when God does a real work in your life, you're going to love who he loves. And you want to know who God loves? Everybody. Paul was grateful. He had never been there, but he heard it through the grace vine that God has, was doing a great work. He was grateful for their faith. He was grateful for their love, and he was praying for them, always praying for them that God would continue the work. In verse 5, he's blessed that they're going to heaven. Notice again in verse 5, because of the love which is laid up for you in heaven. I mean, you know, we're grateful that God saves you again. We're grateful that God is doing a work in your life. But, man, we're so grateful that one day when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Because that's really what it's all about, right? He's so blessed that they were going to heaven and he's so blessed that they were being used by God to help others go to heaven as well. That's what he says there in verse 6, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. You know, and I was just reading this letter today, just kind of reading it over and over and over again, man. And I was just getting so blessed that this church, these people that were serious in their commitment to Jesus Christ, they, they placed their life in, in Jesus' hands. They trusted him as their Lord and Savior. And then they began to be used by the Lord, you know, in such a mighty way. You know, it says right there that they were bringing forth fruit. And you're like, well, what does that mean, man? Does that mean that they had orange trees and lemon trees and mangoes and now you're making me hungry? No, that's not really what it means. You guys know what it means, right? The, the, the fruit of the Bible is the moral fruit and the ministry fruit. The moral fruit is the character of Christ, the love, the joy, the peace, those things in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But then there's the ministry fruit, that when you love the Lord, God will use your life to bring others to him. And whatever it is, whatever your part is, God will use you in the ministry. And so Paul here, in writing to them, is so blessed. But 
look what he continues to pray there in verse 9. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Look again at verse 3. Paul is praying always, right? And then we see once again in verse 9 that Paul said, we do not cease to pray for you. You know, and I just want to encourage you guys to continue to pray. Continue to pray for your unsaved uh, friends, loved ones. Continue to pray for the church. Because although we all have choices to make, man, the bottom line is we all have to make choices of who we're going to serve. Your prayers, they do make a difference. That's why Paul prayed so much. And that's why I want to encourage you to continue to pray for your family and continue to pray for your loved ones and continue to get on your knees and continue to get on your face and continue to fast and pray for people. That's what Paul did. He prayed for the church. And he prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's what it says there in verse 9. And then it says in verse 10 that they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. You know, our walk is our moral journey. It's our life. It's our day-to-day decisions. And so when we make decisions and we're going through life, always make those decisions based on what? Based on what would God want you to do? What would God want you to watch on TV? What would God want you to put into your body? What would God want you to watch at the movies? Or what type of music would God want you to listen to? I mean, you base all your decisions. How are you going to talk to your kids? You base it on what God would want you to say. And even with the tone of voice that he would want you to use. We're going to see later when we get into chapter 3 about being a husband and a wife and a parent and a child and a worker and a boss and every area of our life. How it has to be fully pleasing to who? To God. Because he says if you live that life there in, in verse Uh, 10 he says and this will lead to more fruit this would lead to more fruit and more knowledge of god and you know what basically what it says look again in verse 10 that you may walk worthy of the lord fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god did you guys know this that if you seek the lord with all your heart that you'll find him Isn't that cool? You know, I know some of us here, when we look for things, we're not very good at it, right? We're like, hey, sweetheart, can you give me the ketchup? Oh, I think we're all out of the ketchup because I can't find it, you know? And, you know, and then the wife comes, she's all, there it is right there. Come on, go eat your french fries, you know? We're a lot of times not good at looking, you know? And I don't know if that's a physical thing, but I know the spiritual promise is this. The spiritual promise is that if you really want to find God, you will find him. You will. And you will increase in the knowledge of God. And there's a lot of cool things to learn in life. You can learn about biology and anthropology. I mean, there's so many things you can learn in life, man. What's that? I always wonder how cell phones work. 
I mean, I just trip out on that, man. And how I can, you know, make a cell phone call here and it goes over there to the other side of the world. And I just trip out on that. How does that do? How does my voice travel through the air? And how does it happen? And, and some of you here are probably saying, Manny, I'll tell you afterwards, okay? But <laughs> I know I, I would, there's so many things I would like to learn and just to grow in the knowledge of so many different things. But the one thing in life that I want to know more than anything else is God. I want the knowledge of God in my life. And that's what he says, man, if you if you do this work, if if you want to please him, you know, and then you're fruitful and your good works, you what you're going to increase in the knowledge of God. The Greek word right there is the word epignosis. It's a personal relationship. It's a deep, perfect knowledge of God. And just like I can spend time with you and get to know you and what makes you tick. And what's your favorite dessert is, you know, you're like, hey, I like Marie Callender's strawberry pie or whatever it is, you know, I can get to know you, I can get to know God. And that's really, I think, what God wants for our life. Look there in verse 11, when this happens, he says, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Now, for some reason, I look at the word suffering and joy. And I'm like, Lord, how can they be so close together in the same sentence, you know? But the only way that that can happen in our life is when God is our God. And when the Lord is there and he takes you through the hard times, he will even bring the joy to your life during those difficulties. Because you know that God hasn't changed. That God still loves you. That God still has a plan for your life. And that all the things, all the things that have happened in our life are actually for our good. And when you know that, and you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, it, it can bring you even joy during those circumstances. I think of Paul the Apostle when he was in prison. And he shouldn't have been there, man. You know him and, and remember Barnabas in Acts chapter 16? They were there and they were at the bottom of the dungeon, you know? And they were there and they were just, you know, I mean, they had been scourged. Um, you know, they were bloody. They were in pain. What would you do at midnight, just out of curiosity? You know, be honest. What would you do? Most of us here would be like, oh, God, I'm dead, you know? But what did Paul, what did they do? Paul and Silas, right? They sang, huh? They sang. And that's totally supernatural. See, that's what God wants to do in our life. Nothing can take away our joy. A lot of times, I'll be honest with you, some of you here, you know, your wife takes away your joy because she just says a couple of things. Next thing you know, you're a different person, right? Or your husband, man, he just says one thing and boom, you're in like, you know, war mode or something. It, it shouldn't be that way. Even our kids, you know, every once in a while, I'll have a little something with my kids, you know, and they'll just, they'll kind of be basically unreasonable, and um, and I just, you know, part of me just, you know, would be tempted, I guess you could say, to, to just freak out. But you know what? The Lord, by the Holy Spirit, he teaches us that that's, that's futile. That's, that's exactly what the enemy wants. And so we go forward with peace and with joy. Once again, Paul gives gratitude there in verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. 
He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Again, Paul expresses gratitude to the Father, and now he uses the word us, speaking of the blessing it is to be a part of the body of Christ, a body in which Christ is the head. How many of you here, just out of curiosity here, did any of you here ever receive an inheritance? Just out of curiosity? Man, not that many people, huh? A few of you here. You're like, it doesn't work that way anymore, Manny. (laughs) How many of you plan on leaving an inheritance to your children? Just out of curiosity. Okay, that's better. (laughs) To have an inheritance is pretty cool, to be honest with you. I'm a beneficiary of an inheritance. Um, You kind of... You know, it's kind of a tough thing to go through, um, but, but you get blessed and you get humbled. And we have an inheritance when we're Christians. Our inheritance is because Jesus died and he's left you an inheritance. And you're like, well, how much is it, Manny? Um, yeah, you, you, don't, you have no clue because everything that the Son owns, Jesus Christ, you're now joint heirs with him. We, are, we have this inheritance. We're qualified now. You're like, not me, Manny. I'm not qualified. You know, and I know some, a lot of you guys here, you know, you're, you're pretty messed up. You know, you still mess up. But because you, you gave your life to Christ, you're qualified. See? And you will receive an inheritance. See, God, you know... He forgets our sins and he remembers his promises. And he says, I have an inheritance for you. Look at how awesome it is. It says right here, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Do you guys remember the conveyor belts? Conveyor belts? I don't know if they have a lot of those anymore. But just kind of stand there and it used to take you up to the second level or whatever across the airport, things like that. Um, that's kind of what he's saying right here. God has delivered us from the power of darkness and he's conveyed us, he's transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood. What does it say? The forgiveness of sins. Aren't you happy about that? Aren't you glad that the Lord has forgiven you of your sins? Because otherwise you'd be in big trouble, right? But God, it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, God has forgiven us. He doesn't forgive like we forgive. Usually we forgive, um, but we don't forget. And then we bring it up like five minutes later, huh? And you know what? Like I forgive you because, you know, you said that bad thing about me. You did that bad thing to me. But you know what? Our relationship will never be the same. I'll never embrace you again. That's the way we forgive, huh? Shouldn't be, though. Because God, he forgives us. And the Bible says he justified us. And you know what that means? Kind of like this. Just as if we'd never sinned. And he restores a relationship with God. And Paul here, in writing to the Colossians, he wants them to grow and he's going to teach them about how rich they are. Before he tells them what they have to do, their walk, he's going to tell them a little bit about their wealth. And let me tell you something. Being a Christian, 
is just amazing. It's just so wonderful because God forgives us of our sins. And he points it all to Jesus. It says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The word for image is icon, E-I-K-O-N in the Greek. It's where we get our English word icon. Jesus is the icon of the invisible God. If you're wondering like what God looks like, so to speak, or what God is like, just look at Jesus because that's who God is, right? He's the firstborn over all creation. It doesn't mean he was the first one made. It means that he has preeminence, preeminence over all creation. Why? Because by him, it says in verse 16, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. That's speaking of all the angels. They were all made by Jesus. And even the fallen angels, demons, Jesus made them all. It says in verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. What that means is Jesus holds everything together. If he let go, we'd be history, right? It says in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Let me give you just a little bit of background to the book of Colossians. Uh, they were saying that Jesus wasn't enough. They were saying that, you know what, there's a, like, secret knowledge and we'll mingle it in with a little bit of legalism. And uh, it's this, you know, Jesus was just kind of an emanation. Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough to get you to heaven. And Paul writes and he says, yes, he is. Jesus is enough. Jesus Christ. He died for us. He's God the Son. He made everything. And Jesus is enough. He's going to take you home one day. Not because you're such a great person, but because you put your faith in Him. You know, I always tell people, like when you die, or if you were to die, why should God let you into heaven? You know, most people will say, well, I've been a good person. I haven't murdered anybody. But that's the wrong answer. Because even if you are a good person, you're not going to be good enough to go to heaven without Jesus. What gets us into heaven is, is Jesus, right? Putting our faith in Jesus. And what we see right here is Paul points to Jesus. The other day I was coming home from a Bible college class and I got a phone call from a good friend of mine. And this good friend of mine you know, he really cares about me. I, I know he does. I know he does. But he told me a story about something that went down in Mexico. He said, my friends, uh, they have some property in Mexico. And um, what ended up happening was uh, they went down to their property and there were some people that were, I think they're called squatters or whatever. They were, they were living in their house. And so when they came in, he said they, uh, they, they tied him up, and they wrapped him up with duct tape, and they beat him to a pulp, and then they cut their head off. And so he was telling me, you know, don't go to Mexico anymore. And uh, I told him, well, that's not how it works. You know, we have to do what God wants us to do. Um, God will protect us. Or God will let us go home as long as we're doing the work of the ministry. 
But you see, I know that's a graphic story, but here's the thing, you guys. The devil wants to take Jesus away from you. The devil wants to cut your head off. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the truth. Because right here, look what it says right there in verse 18. And he is the head of the body. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have your head. And that's why we need him, you guys. What happens? Well, Jesus died for us. And as a church, you know, we have to cling to him. Let me read a few more verses right here. Look what it says in verse 19. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, It says right there, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. See, what God has given to us in this church is a ministry of reconciliation. We want to be used by God to reconcile you with God. And we want to be used by God to reconcile you with your loved ones who are in heaven. It's all about the ministry of of reconciliation. And the way that you're reconciled, it says right there, is through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's made peace. How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, in his sight. I mean, we were way out there. How many of you guys were way out there? You were, some of you were really way out there. I, I heard your testimonies. We were way out there. But now look what God has done. He has reconciled us. How? To present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. In whose sight? In God's sight. Now, if I look at you, and I guess some of you I don't know too well, I think, and they're pretty good people. But when God looks at you, he sees the heart. If you're here today and if you lusted after a girl, then in God's eyes you've committed adultery. If you're here today and you hate somebody, then in God's eyes you've committed murder. See, God sees the heart. God sees our thoughts. Aren't you glad that people can't read our thoughts? That would be crazy, huh? Can God read your thoughts? But when you come to Christ, you're perfect in his sight. That's what he says right there. But notice what he says right there. Are you guys Christians? Look at what God has done above reproach in his sight. It says in verse 23, if. And you might want to circle that word if. I don't know if you write in your Bible, but if you do, you might want to circle that word if. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You see, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, then of course we want you to give your life to Christ. But if you're here today and you do know the Lord, we want to tell you that you need to abide in him. You need to stay with him. You need to, man, make sure that you're grounded 
you know, in the Lord. You're steadfast. You're not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. He says in verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here we see Paul speaking to the Colossians and really caring for them. You know, uh, he had the heart of a shepherd. He had the heart of a pastor. In verse 24 and 25, we see the word minister. See that right there in verse 24? I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking, the affliction of God, of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister. You know, and a minister is not just a guy who has a special caller, um, not in God's sight. You know, there's a lot of guys who are ordained and you see them on TV. They're not real ministers. They're not. A minister, he mentions a few things right here. Is an individual willing to suffer? An individual willing to serve? An individual, he mentions right here in verse 25, who's been given a stewardship from God. What's our stewardship as ministers? is to protect the gospel of Jesus Christ, is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, is to lift up the name of Jesus so that people would get saved and that the church would be strong and not compromise. That's who Paul was. He was a minister. You know, it's kind of interesting. If you look down at verse 29, it says, To this end I also labor, striving, according to his working, which works in me mightily. You know, if you're here today and you have a heart for ministry, that's a good, good verse to, to, to have. Because what it means is that Paul was working as hard as he could. There's the Greek word agonize in there. He was agonizing. He was working and getting weary to the point of exhaustion. Right? He was, he was working hard. But also notice right there it says in the end of verse 29, uh, according to his working. It was the Lord doing the work, and at the same time, it was Paul working. And that's the way it is in the ministry. See, we see the word minister here. We also see the word mystery. We see that in verse 26, the word mystery. How many of you like mystery movies instead of curiosity? You read those mystery books? I haven't read one of those in a long time. There are some mysteries. The New Testament talks about the Old Testament, that things weren't that clear. But in the New Testament, they became clear. One of them is this. Look what it says right there in verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That when you become a Christian, Christ lives in you. That's amazing. You know, you're the temple of God. You know, some people, they come to this church right here. or Some people, they'll go to different Calvary chapels. And a lot of times the Calvaries aren't real nice. You know, they're like, hey, where's the, you know, the, the stained glass windows, you know, or, hey, you guys, you know, you look like you're, you're in a shopping mall. Yeah, we are in a shopping mall, you know, and, 
You know, I mean, we kind of fixed up the sanctuary a little bit here, but you guys remember how ugly it was before? You know, I mean, you're like, man, this is a church. And, and it's, just a, it's just a building, you know, but God doesn't live in this building. God doesn't live in that building over there, you know, Notre Dame or whatever it is. You're the building now. God lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's why some people, it's kind of sad. They go to church and they're like, hey, you know, they're all, all Mr. Nice Guy and Nice Gal. And they go, to home, they go home and they're, and they're mean to their, to their children, to their spouse. And, and what do you think? God is here and not over there? God's there. But see, this right here, Paul is saying, this is what I want you to know. I want you to know how rich you are. And he's just sharing with the Colossians the wealth that they have and how important it is that we cling to our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Cling to him. He's got to be your everything. Right? Because the enemy's going to try to come and he's going to try to cut the head off. He'll try to decapitate your life. And that's not a game. It's reality. And so in chapter 2, he says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, they're saying, oh, Jesus isn't enough. Come on, Manny, you need more than that. You should study philosophy. You should get a degree. You should watch Oprah Winfrey. I mean, you name it, man. They'll tell me all these things that we need to do. You need to, and, and you know what? I mean, if the Lord leads you to get all that stuff, that's cool. But let me tell you something. In life, one day we're going to die. And when we stand before him, the only thing that's going to really matter is, is, is where we were at in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, how much money did you make? Well, that's cool. You've got to support a family. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. See, in Christ, it says right there, is hid in all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. They were thinking it was through this Gnosticism and the secret you know, things that only they knew. No, it's in Jesus. And so in verse 4, he says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. You know, I've been uh, a Christian for, I don't know, 20 years now, I think, 20-something years. I always forget. And uh, I've seen a lot of people come and I've seen a lot of people go. And they're not walking with the Lord anymore. Things happen. You get tested. Right here he says, man, as you receive the Lord, walk in, in the Lord. Do you remember how exciting it was in the beginning for most of us here? Do you remember how exciting it was? Remember how um, nobody could shut you up, which is sometimes good, not always. But <laughs> remember the passion and the newness and the freshness of it? May that never go away. 
May there always be a passion, a zeal now with knowledge. As you have received the Lord by faith, you continue to walk with him. I like what he says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And that's the thing, man, that we would be established, that there would finally come that consistency in our walk. You know, where we're rooted and grounded in the Lord. He says right there in verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know, they were saying that Jesus wasn't really um, a man. You know what they were saying? That he was a phantom. And that he would walk, but he wouldn't leave footprints. They had a lot of weird things. There's a lot of weird things out there today, huh? You can turn on the TV, the Discovery Channel, or whatever it is. Some of them are weird. You know, aliens. Alien, that's how we got here, aliens, you know. And I mean, there's a lot of crazy things out there. Empty philosophies. I took philosophy when I went into college. It was, it was nonsense. They're like, Manny, that table's not real. I'm like, yes, it is. It's real, man. I, <laughs> no, it's just, you know, existentialism or whatever. No, beware, you guys, lest anyone cheat you. What does that mean right there? Rip you off. They rip you off. Does anybody here want to get ripped off? We don't like getting ripped off, right? Well, that's what the devil tries to do. He just tries to rip you off. You guys, you were made by God. He loves you. He wants to bless you. He will bless obedience. He will use your life, I promise you. He will use your life if you give him your heart. He will use your life. He wants to bless your life. And he wants to bless others. And he's just looking for people who are really sold out. Completely, totally, recklessly abandoned to him. Because that's what it takes. You can't have any, you can't make a deal with God. I'll serve you. As long as it's, you know, cool with me. As long as it's comfortable. No, you can't. you got to be willing to say, whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do. Because he wants to bless your life. Man, be careful that someone doesn't come by, you know, smooth talking and take you away from Jesus. Because Jesus is enough. He's God. He was God in the body. It says in verse 10, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Do you ever feel incomplete? Do you ever feel like something's missing? That's a lie. If you're a Christian, nothing's missing. You're complete in him. You see, you don't need to add philosophies or legalism. He says right there in verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Don't you love that, you guys? 
having nailed it to the cross, the law, the handwriting of requirements, he took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. You know, the Jews are trying to get him, you guys got to get circumcised, man. It's not enough that you just believe in Jesus. And he says, no, when I believe in Jesus, I was already, you know, spiritually circumcised. The, the flesh has been cut off. And when I believe in Jesus, I got baptized, and that was cool. We got baptized, we got dunked in water, and we see it, and it's kind of pretty and everything. Especially on a hot day, it's fun getting baptized, huh? Not on a cold day, on a hot day. <laughs> But what that symbolizes, man, is that you died and then you rose again in the power of the resurrection. Everything. You guys, we are rich in him. We are complete in him. It says in verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And what that means is that Jesus Christ defeated all the demons, the devil and his demons. That's why it's important to be on Jesus' side. Because Jesus is the only one who disarmed them. See? And so he says there in verse 16, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Sometimes they get people, they say, Man, you shouldn't drink coffee. I'm like, what are you talking about? I love coffee, man. (laughs) Oh, you know... And, you know, maybe you're here like, man, you shouldn't because it's not good for you. No, I can have coffee and I can have cheese puffs. Uh, you, you can't judge me in my food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath. You know, all that kind of stuff, it's just a shadow. Verse 17, there's shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now, of course, contextually speaking, he's talking about the Jewish dietary laws. And he's saying you don't have to get caught up in religion. Because religion will never save you. It's like the shadow. Think about it. My wife, Shelly. You know, would I rather have her shadow or her? Uh, I'd rather have her, to be honest with you, man. I really would. I love her. You know, and, and that's what he's saying. When you get caught up in religion, it's just a shadow. There's nothing there. There's no substance to it. But when, it, when you come to Christ, it's a relationship. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's precious. It's real. You know, when God came into my life, he changed me completely. He set me free. He set me free from drinking and drugs and sexual sin. When God came into my life, I was, I felt him, man, from, for two weeks. I could just feel his presence, man. And, and he did so many miracles. I mean, there is no shadow of a doubt that God isn't real. God is real. It's not a religion. I used to be caught up in religion. I read my whole Bible before I really became a Christian. But I didn't know the Lord. That's why I had no power. But when I gave my life to Christ, it was real. And that's what he's saying, man. That's where the substance is. Verse 18, so he says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. These are the things that they were, uh, you know, getting into, man, worshiping angels and telling about their experiences, you know, with angels and things like that. He says they're getting all caught up in that stuff in verse 19 and not holding fast to the head. There it is again, the head. The devil wants to take your head away. But when you cling to Jesus, you have your head. You see? 
That's all we need to hold on to is Jesus. From whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed, they have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So they were getting caught up in weird stuff, legalistic stuff. It's okay to fast. It's okay to do that. But just don't think that it saves you. And you just have to make sure that your main focus in life is Jesus Christ. And I just want to say that over and over and over again tonight. Because I think that there's a lot of us here that the reason we're struggling is because we're not clinging to Jesus Christ. And that's why we get to have communion tonight. Because I pray that God brings, him, brings us back to him. You know, I love my family, but, you know, that, my family is not more important to me than Jesus. And I love the ministry, I really do, but it's not more important than Jesus. Nothing is. And so Paul here, he wants to bring them back to Jesus, make sure no one sidetracks them in any way. And so he says in chapter 3, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died with Christ, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that really important nowadays, you guys? We get all caught up in life on earth. Huh? And we don't even think about heaven sometimes. Like I've told you guys before, it'd be like going to the motel and say, oh, I like this motel. You know, you're on your way to the Grand Canyon. You're going to stay there a couple of days or whatever. And so you go to Home Depot and you put new carpet in your hotel room, you know, and you get some new couches and you buy a new refrigerator for your hotel room. And you're all caught up in this thing. You're only going to be there for, you know, a couple of days when your home is over there. And we get so caught up in life on earth that we forget that our real home is heaven. And so he says, set your mind on things above, not on things below. Because we died, our life is hidden with Christ. And so he says in verse 5, put to death your members which are on the earth. And, And you know what? And I talk to a lot of guys and they struggle with pornography. And they struggle with sexual sin and lust. And I, I think probably some girls do. And, and, you know, you're like, well, what do you do? And, you know, we do counseling. We read books and we pray for each other and we're there for each other. And, we, yeah, we got to do that. But the bottom line is you have got to put your flesh to death. And that's something only you can do. We can't do it for you. And a lot of times guys, they continue in that because they don't fear God. There's no fear of God in their life. You've got to put it to death. We have to do it. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. You know, I'll tell you guys real quickly. One of the reasons why I wanted to do Colossians tonight is because of chapter 3. I remember when I first got saved, I read chapter 3, and I was just a new believer, and I was like, wow, 
everything's in this chapter. It's so cool. There is so much here, you guys, in this chapter. You're going to see. He says, put off the old man. Put him to death. Uh, I know we struggle. God says, man, you you can't keep living that way. Um, If you don't know the Lord, you'll perish. And if you do know the Lord, then you're acting like like the world. And you shouldn't be. He says right here, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger. Does anybody here ever struggle with anger? No, I'm just joking. You won't tell me, huh? Wrath. Oh, you get so mad, huh? You get so mad. Malice. Blasphemy. Filthy language. I heard through the grace funds that some, some Christians, they still cuss. What's up with that? You shouldn't. You shouldn't cuss. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you're still, you know, sharing those profanities, then that what that says is your heart's not right. Filthy language. It's crazy out there nowadays, huh? Do you watch movies where there's filthy language? That's crazy. How can you do that? You know, Romans talks about how people, they, they see all these things going on, and, you know, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't say anything. They, they clap. They applaud them. No, oh, filthy language. That, that's not right in God's sight. It says in verse 9, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You know, if you're a liar, if you end up lying, then your, your, your word is mud. Then I never know if I can believe you again, because you lied to me. That's why it's so important that we always tell the truth. If your wife says, honey, was this, you know, good, you know, salsa or dinner or whatever, that's probably an exception. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) That you always have to say yes. But, (laughs) you know, we have to be really careful. You put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Look what he says. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And the way that you wrap it all together, he says in verse 14, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And you guys, we just, man, we got to have that in our hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts, to the Lord. And, you know, that's why we just teach the Bible here. You're like, man, they just teach the Bible. Yeah, because right here it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I don't know if you believe me or not, man, but even if you don't, I got to tell you this, that if you study the Bible with an open heart, if you read your Bible with an open heart, if you study the word of God, if you dig into the word of God, you will never be the same. Never. Study the Bible. You let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And you open up the Bible and you read it. And God will speak to you. He says, that's what he's saying. Let it dwell in you 
richly. And then look what he says in verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you see, that's why there's no such thing as sacred and secular. You know, like, okay, well, this is my sacred life. This is my church life. And then this is my, this is my life, you know. This is my secular life. There's no such thing. We're like, well, he's a pastor. He's got a sacred job. And I'm, you know, over here, and I'm a, whatever it is, a custodian. Mine's not sacred. Oh, yes, it is. Huh, you guys know that, huh? You guys know that, that wherever you work at, it's sacred. As a matter of fact, in many ways, you know, I, I, I envy you because you're out there in the middle of the lost people who are hurting so much. And I just love to be out there. And you shine. Whatever you do, you do it in the name of the Lord. Whatever you do. You know, and you can be playing wee baseball with your son. And, you know, I play it with Aaron, you know, because um, he likes to beat me all the time, you know. And I try to make him feel better. But the other day I beat him. It was so cool. But I do everything I do. Everything I do. I try everything I do. I do it for the Lord. Everything. You can't separate anything. Not a minute. You can't. Right? And so he says in verse 18, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And you're like, oh, no, he's not going to elaborate on that verse, is he? Yeah, because families are so important. And we need that spiritual structure. As a wife, you need to be submissive to your husband. It says, as is fitting in the Lord. And you wives know how it is. You go, you know, to wherever it is that you shop at and you get a blouse that's too big for you. You're not going to buy it, right? Or you get a blouse that's too small for you. You're not going to buy it, right? You have to get what fits, what's right. And wives, you know, I know you make a million excuses, but God sees. God wants your husband to lead your family. And you've got to let him make a few mistakes here and there. Now, I'm not saying that you can't say anything. I'm not saying that you can't warn him. But just don't usurp the leadership, right? And one day when you stand before God and you give an account, um, all that's, all that's going to be required of you is whether or not you're submissive as far as your role and responsibility as a wife, right? I mean, there's other things too, but that's one of the main things. Husbands, verse 19, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Why do husbands get bitter towards their wives? Because they're all jacked up, right? Because husbands, man, we're messed up. Selfish guys, a lot of times we're selfish. Or a lot of times maybe our wife is, you know, you know, dripping or whatever. They, the Proverbs uses that, you know. And we think we can justify our bitterness. And then, all you, and then what ends up happening in life, you guys, when that happens, is that everything becomes sour in your life. Everything. I don't care if you have some chocolate cake on there. You put your, your bitter lemon juice and it just messes up everything. The NIV uses the word harsh. A lot of times husbands are harsh with their wives. You know, they're big bad husbands with all their muscles and testosterone and strength. And you think you can push your wife around with your words. And that's not right. See, wives have their role. Husbands, you're called to love your wife. And one day we'll stand before God. 
And we'll answer that question, whether or not we loved our wife. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Yeah, children are supposed to obey in all things. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Um, and sometimes fathers can be that way, where they're, they're inconsistent in their discipline, or they're harsh. Encourage your children. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. You know, there you are and you've got your job and you're like, I don't want to do, you know, the apple table. And your boss says, well, do the apple table. And, you know, it's a, it's a drag sometimes when you get people that are working and sometimes they're even Christians and they just don't do what their boss tells them to do. You're supposed to, unless they tell you to sin. Otherwise, you have to do what they tell you to do. You do it right there, it says, not with eye service. Do you guys ever work harder when the boss is around? Then don't do it that way, he says, as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. You guys, when you're working, wherever you go and you're working, who are you really working for? Who? The Lord, huh? You're really working for him. That's who you're really working for. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. Masters, if you're a boss here, he says, give your bondservants what is just and fair knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And then he says some really cool things. Continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. You guys, keep praying, man. Keep praying. Don't ever give up on your prayer life. Continue earnestly in it. Notice it says right there, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And then he says specifically, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. And so you keep praying and pray for your leaders and pray for the Lord to open doors for us to clearly, articulately share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that was Paul's ministry. That's our ministry, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I think for me, you guys, time is my worst enemy sometimes. Uh, even now, you're like, Manny, it's already 8.30, right? All right. Well, you know what? Chuck Smith, he did uh, an hour and a half. So I figured I would do an hour real quick. But I love going through the book of Colossians, man. Watch what you say. Verse 6. Be so careful with the things that you say. And you can say things to hurt someone. You know, that's why you have to make sure you get the green light from God first. Be so careful, you guys. It says right there in verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. 
and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision. They have proved to, to be a comfort to me. Paul had these guys. They were Jews. Man, they were so helpful to him. I, I always trip on this one guy right here. His name is Jesus, and they called him Justice. And I think that's right, you know, because you kind of got to change your name. You know, I know some people, I know a teacher, Jesse, his name is really Jesus, you know. Um, and I would, it would just be weird calling him Jesus all the time. Hey, Jesus, how you doing, you know? So we call him Jesse, you know. That's the way it is here with Jesus, God named Jesus, justice, right? And then he says about Epaphras in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you. Check this guy out always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand complete, perfect and complete in all the will of God. How many of you here, you pray for people like every day, like you pray for people, man. I I think a lot of us do. I have a list of people that I've been praying for for years. And that's so cool. That's what Epaphras was. He prayed for them. And we need to continue doing that. This guy was a real, real awesome guy. He says, For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, they greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of Elmani and that you likewise I'll read the epistle from Laodicea. You know, and that's all we're doing tonight. I know it's weird. You're like, you went a little longer, you know, but I just wanted to read the book of Colossians. I really wanted to read Paul's letter to the church to you and just touch on a few things, right? But look what way it closes here in verse 17. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. He says, when you talk to Archippus, you know what? I heard through the grace vine that he's starting to slack off. And when you go there, I want you to tell him something. Wake up. Open your eyes to the ministry that you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. You see, we all have something in life that God wants us to do. And we have to make sure that we finish the work that he's called us to do to be faithful with our family, to be faithful in the ministry. We have to open our eyes, you guys. Some of us here, and to some degree even myself, it's time to wake up, you guys. We're not messing around here. It's not just, you know, a church social thing. This is life and death. We're all different parts of the body. And we really have to take this seriously. And so he says, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Now he says, now I'm going to write this with my own hands, a salutation with my own hands. Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. He says, remember my chains. You know, I'm a prisoner here. Keep me in prayer. But the interesting thing is, you guys remember earlier when Paul asked for prayer, what did he ask for? Does anybody remember? He didn't ask for open doors for him to get out of prison, huh? He asked for open doors for him to do what? Preach the gospel. And you guys, that's what we need to be doing these days. Pray for me. Pray for us as a church. I'm going to pray for you as you're out there and Christians and, you know, in the world. Let's all have that heart 
to preach the gospel. Because the bottom line is, we're not in prison like Paul was, but we all have that, that chain, so to speak. That's what it's all about. We're prisoners of Christ. And I pray that today, man, we would understand that. And God would just move in our hearts, you know, to, to make sure, um, you guys, that we really, really trust in Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's a beautiful work that he's doing in your life. Don't let the devil uh, decapitate you. For some of you here, even now, man, you need to get that head. You need to get Jesus back into your heart. And you can do that right where you're at. Right where you're at. You're just sitting right there. You just, you just ask Jesus to come into your life. And he loves you so much. He will. If you want him. And so we're going to partake of communion now. And, and we just want it to be all about Jesus. So all of us here, uh, let's look to him with all of our hearts. Father, we thank you that we can have communion now. Because we get disconnected, Lord. We, uh, we forget. I know I do sometimes. But you never forget us, Lord. You're always there for us. You make the sun rise. Uh, you keep this world spinning, Lord, in orbit. Lord, you give us air to breathe and, and food to eat and, and clothes on our back. You put a roof over our head. You encourage us, Lord. You give us flowers. So many things, Lord. You give us family that loves us and friends. And Lord, you give us hope. You give us everything. You keep our heart beating, Lord. And then one day when it's time to go home, we're going to go home and be with you. And so, Lord, I pray tonight as we partake of communion that we would worship you. that we would live for you, that we would choose to live for you tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that as we partake of communion, Lord, that you make it special, Lord, and that everyone here would know, that everyone here would know that God loves them, that you love us, you made us and you have great plans for our life help us Lord to receive that love I pray Lord in Jesus name Amen, Amen. we're going to partake of communion they're going to pass